This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. In this episode of our What's New in Employment podcast, employment partner Mike Powner and senior associate Claire Davis share their thoughts and experiences of innovative reward schemes. As employers compete for the best talent, looking at new ways to reward staff is a key driver for recruitment and retention. Yes, thanks very much for that introduction. I mean, Claire, it is something of an extraordinary time, isn't it? A perfect storm um, with so many different factors. What's your view, I suppose, overall as to where this all sits? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's we've faced difficult times, you know, on the back of the pandemic, we come into what we think we are optimistic in early 2022, and then war in Ukraine, fuel crisis that's, that's generated by that, ongoing supply chain disruption because of, you know, in part, China's continuing issues with COVID. There are a number of factors at play, you know, war on the locally, we've got a new prime minister, Liz Truss, mm-hmm. you know, confidence of the markets in her leadership going forward. And then, you know, very sadly, we've got a you know constitutional change that we're facing at the moment with King Charles III and how the markets react to his leadership going forward, what role he's going to play. There's a number of issue and all that's creating a lot of disruption in the market and a lot of concern amongst employers about how they manage cost, whether they need to restructure and how they keep hold of the best talent. Yeah, that's it. The fight for talent. Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose we're, we just don't know what's going to happen to inflation and particularly wage inflation, which is key to this discussion, isn't it? You know, where that's going to go. Inflation went down slightly yesterday, didn't it? But, um, you know, will these measures, you know, um, be enough? That's the question, isn't it? On the fuel crisis. And that's affecting all businesses, obviously, and knock-on effects. So if we move on to sort of the, you know, the most innovative, I suppose, that we're seeing is cryptos and um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, I mean, as a means to reward. We're we're not seeing that. We're not going to dwell on this too much in this podcast because we're not seeing it massively in the UK. It's certainly been more predominant, obviously, in that particular industry and indeed in the US. But this sort of decentralized digital currency, you know, comes with great risk. But on the other hand, you know, is embracing very much uh, modern technology. I mean, What's really interesting is that platforms like uh, Revolut make it so easy, of course, this is online banking, is it make it so easy to to buy and sell? Um, it is becoming more mainstream, but it's certainly not, we're not seeing it, Claire, unless you um, have seen more of this, you know, in terms of uh, the sort of mainstream bonuses or other sort of, uh, you know, uh, examples, I suppose, of reward. No, I think, I mean, it's quite a risky approach to take. Uh, you know, the value of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies fluctuates massively. So uh, where employees have rent to pay, mortgages to pay, you know, out financial outgoings, they do need stability of income. So to the extent that, you know, there is there are studies to suggest that a third of uh, Generation Z and millennials would be prepared to accept up to half their salary in cryptocurrencies. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it is it is risky. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is generally um, cryptocurrencies are taxed. Um, you know, in the US, you now have to declare them on the uh, IRS forms that you're required to submit. But mm. some jurisdictions like Portugal, there is no no tax to pay. They're on encouraging Bitcoin. it. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And then, but I mean, in terms of online transfer for goods, you know, we had all the sort of Microsoft and Starbucks and all the rest of it, but that seems to be, a, you know, dissipating a lot, doesn't it? More more prevalent in the US than it is over here, isn't it? And there's no, in other words, not an obvious transfer from this digital currency into something physical or indeed into cash. I mean, there is on the online platforms, of course, you can cash in, but as you say, it fluctuates a great deal, which is 
you know, I mean, it's quite exciting. I can see why it's attractive, not just to Generation Z, but more generally. I mean, it's a little bit of a, uh, dare I say, but it's a little bit of a gambling. We've had three crashes, I think, of Bitcoin, haven't we? Um, but it's predicted to go back up. Who knows where it may go? It may crash completely, isn't it? There's an, that great uncertainty. But there's a certain traction in terms of its ease. That's what I'm getting at, I suppose, isn't it? And I think for employers, it's something in the UK, anything, I think it'll be something potentially of the future, isn't it? Not of now, but, you know, it's just something that um, if it does stabilise and there's more mainstream, um, you know, regulation behind it, obviously in confidence, I suppose, really, in that sense, then then we could see it coming in. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought interesting the move from Elon Musk and, and Tesla. You know, they, they were initially for a brief period oh, yeah, of three really. months accepting it for payment. Not not, a full, not, not, not not for payment of a full car, but for, uh, for certain Half a parts. car. <laughs> just the I steering wheel. Might, might, might have been just seatbelts. But exactly. uh, you, again, the reason he puts out as, as why Tesla no longer accept it actually mm. comes down to the environmental concerns. Interesting, which, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Most think there should be fewer environmental concerns when you're dealing with something digitally. But actually, mm. the way that Bitcoin transactions are done and the, the use of these miners who need to, you know, who are competing Huge, to, yeah. to, Computers, to, com yeah. to confirm the provenance of any transaction, that's mm. a lot of wasted resource because you've got this market with all these miners, these computers running off systems to try mm. and work out a simple transaction. So there are issues with it. And, I, and again, it's aligning with the brand, fitting with the strategy that Tesla actually couldn't be seen in, in its view to be damaging the environment by moving mm. forward with Very something interesting, so isn't it, their angle, Rather than the volatility, which I think is what worries most people, isn't it? And indeed would worry most staff, isn't it, who are being bonused or rewarded in that way. And what about these uh, NFTs? Yeah, I mean, extraordinary, isn't it, to see the, I suppose it's embryonic still, but seeing these being created, et cetera, and marketed, yeah. I mean, I, I find that fascinating to see the value and and how something can can have value attributed to it. You know that it is rare, that it is collectible, that it's unique. But at the same time, there's a market and there's a liquidity, and people recognise that inherent value in it. And again, I think we're, we're at a two embryonic stage to have created a, a well enough functioning market for that to be a widespread spread method of remuneration. Yes, I mean, these are, just to explain that, I suppose, these are digital assets, aren't they, for those who haven't come across them, like art and music and videos, but they're unique to a particular brand very often, isn't it? I suppose it has that advantage, doesn't it? Um, but they're then created with some provenance. That's what I don't really understand, I suppose. Mm -hmm. you know, how do you really prove the uniqueness and the provenance of a this digital video, whatever it may be? It's quite difficult, isn't it, in art? Well, I mean, it, it all goes mm. back to blockchain technology and how mm. you create something unique and you can use the blockchain technology to verify it and store it and mm. show its provenance, show its rarity. Uh, it's fascinating. And then but, how do you trade it, as you say? You know, yeah. can you cash it? The ones we've seen, I think, are, are mainly US again, are they? But they've effectively allowed a cashing in, haven't they, of those, those items, et cetera, those assets. Um, although some are advertising that can be traded in the market, but what is the market? That's the big question, isn't it? It links in then to cryptocurrency, doesn't it? And swapping through for another digital, you know, currency effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or employers creating their own market by offering to buy back right. or, or for employees to be able to trade amongst themselves. But again, yeah. it, it's having a wide enough market and respect for it as a form of currency to create value and for employees to then be comfortable that it's a 
a, a satisfactory method of being remunerated for work done. So just moving on, um, what do we think about other means of attracting staff then beyond the sort of traditional salary bonuses and away from cryptocurrencies at the other sort of end of the spectrum? What else are we seeing, Claire? In some ways, there's more of a focus on other what used to be considered fringe benefits, mm. but have been mm. part of the sort of overall reward structure um, and employers looking after their employees. So, you know, the typical health and well-being focus with discounted gym membership or fitness classes, mm -hmm. some providing healthy snacks, healthy food, free fruit. So it's looking, I suppose, a little bit more holistically at their employees, private health insurance, employee assistance programmes, particularly with the, the focus on mental health after mm, what quite, people... Yeah, I mean, a what, lot more of that when we're here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's part driven by the pandemic, but also mm. the increasing recognition and understanding of mental health in the workplace and the need for su support with it. Mm -hmm. you know, so some, mm. some employers are going further with on-site wellbeing hubs or... Uh, online GP access you know that there there are benefits to the employer for making sure their employees are not having to wait at their doctor's surgery or spending time off sick by mm. getting things dealt with effect effectively and efficiently uh, yep. you know and, and some employers are taking it to the next level with the health and well-being support with support for family planning and you know it's, what was interesting to see was is Cooley um, a US law firm but with an office in London and they they offer reimbursement of fees of up to £45,000 for fertility treatment. And that's, you know, a, quite yeah. a, a huge leap forward. Mm, you know, mm. there are all sorts of potential issues as to, you know, why, why that sort of support might need to be put in place. But again, it, it shows the, the sense that employees are no longer just task-focused at work, but also mm. they're, they're people to buy into the employee, buy into... The brand of the employer you're treating everyone as a human yeah and the support sort of, that you put in place for it the health and well-being being yeah a critical part of that i suppose and with the flexibility i guess isn't it that not these aren't just necessarily formulaic you can we're seeing a bit more of that aren't we you know this not just flexi benefits but i mean offering support in other words isn't it depending on what you you decide is best for you isn't it you know um, yeah and I think what's going to become increasingly helpful you know, in the next 12 to 18 months is financial support, you know, discounts, uh, arrangements with with uh, discounters. Again, I'm just thinking, you know, brands will need to position themselves carefully so that where they they can offer discounts on their own brands, their own services, but who they then partner with, which again goes to the it's culture. Critical, and, isn't it? Mm, mm. And who, you know, why employees buy into the brand and want to want to align themselves with their employer, uh, as well as you know, interesting perks in the US, PwC offering support for college fees for its employees, mm. you know, helping helping their employees cover their students their, their children's student loans. So I think we are we're seeing much more on that front. Um, yeah, it's pretty smart. widespread, isn't it? Yeah, although no. I was quite worried that. One employer remained nameless was saying we want to make our employees as healthy as genetically possible. <laughs> well, that's actually quite ominous, isn't it? <laughs> well, again, you know, does does uh, understanding your own genetic makeup and your predisposition Brave to conditions? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, what what Absolutely. does that do to you uh, mentally when you know that you might have things on the horizon? Your biometrics, so I think, yeah. exactly, and such like. Yeah, it's prying into different areas now, isn't it? Exactly. 
Yeah, but I think I think supporting employees' health and well-being, that's mm. going to, again, looking at someone and and seeing that, you know, you're a person, we want to support you, what are your needs, offering the flexible benefits packages, as you say, so mm. employees can opt in and opt out and see what works for them at their stage in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're definitely seeing an increase in that, isn't it? And I, I, I think that's going to go even further, isn't it? Now we're looking at, as I say, the salary inflation, isn't it? This is an obvious way, isn't it? Without, without necessarily having massive costs, isn't it? To offer a workforce, that sort of, particularly the health and well-being support, you can see that increasing more and more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, the likes of John Lewis and other um, the others in the food and beverage sector offering free food. Because again, that's what some employees are going to need, particularly as you know, as we said at, at the top, you know, is there is there enough confidence in the measures that the current government are putting in place to, to help people address their their personal challenges from the fuel crisis? And what about the work life balance then, and sabbaticals and such like? Are you seeing more of that and sort that, of taking a break? <laughs> that's certainly what's quite interesting about a sabbatical is you, you sort of lock employees in for a certain period of time mm. in return for the ability to take unpaid or paid leave in the future. So, mm. for example, you have PayPal, and if you work for them for five years, you're entitled to a four week paid sabbatical mm. you know, and then another five years before you're entitled to your next and mm. i think again that that generates a lot of goodwill amongst your employees loyalty base. isn't it base isn't it and focused yeah 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 so, you can see that increasing can't you definitely just as a simpler means even though it may be tough as we face a potential recession isn't it? to think about that of employees being off for weeks on end but as you say it's a way of locking in isn't it? it's a future looking um you know offering isn't it that, that it's very attractive to many yeah it's future look looking and it doesn't need to cost anything now because you're effectively saying only if you've been with us for four or five years are you entitled to it so again it goes to your staff your your existing retention rate your staff turnover and and when you put in place that policy you know is there a you know 12 months from now because we've only just put it in place provided you have four or five years service will you get a paid or unpaid sabbatical Sometimes, yeah. you know, employees can benefit from that break. Yes, yeah, interesting. And this four-day week, obviously, the trial, the pilot, they call it, don't they? The government was due to meet, I think, this week, but sadly, the Queen's funeral obviously has uh, overtaken it all. But that's still potentially actually going to be extended, isn't it? But what are the conclusions from that? It seems to be pretty mixed, isn't it, as to whether it's worked or not. Just to explain, it's four days a week, uh, but not a reduction. It's not compressed hours, is it, in that sense, is it? It's the... In, it's increasing productivity isn't it for, for the for the uh for four days a week but at the same pay that's the point i suppose isn't it? yeah i mean it's interesting to see so 70 and some 70 or so companies are participating in this study and they, they've mm -hmm. got between them about three thousand employees and i think mm -hmm. it's very mixed you've got you know, larger employers who are and, and more established employers who are able to weather and, and hand over employees suddenly working four days a week they're not necessarily being serviced for clients, for customers on that fifth day. Others, you know, smaller businesses, A, they, their pipeline is such that while they have signed up to the study, they actually haven't been able to afford people the four-day week and give mm. them the fifth day off because they it's the just same don't... pay, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's, it's yeah. not it's just the same pay, but the demands from their customers, A, you've got this fight for talent, so can they recruit sufficient to cover the client needs mm. where you've only got people working four days a week? And I think for others, it's it's there can be more cost and time in the handover of work. 
you know, the, the conclusions seem to be that while employees are very positive and it's mm. helping them enjoy time outside of work and the benefit. And, and again, this study was running from June like mm. over the summer months. We all tend to be a little bit more positive over the summer. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see <laughs> how, how it goes on through into the winter. And if again, yeah. mm. if it's extended and, mm. uh, and again, there are what, what we hear in the media is often well positioned and, and it very much depends on who you're speaking to. And I think very few employers are willing to put their hands up and say it's not working for us because they're almost going to be shot down for dooming it from the outset. And, and yeah. again, what's it going to do for their staff who are saying, well, you know, you never thought it would succeed. Look at what you said to the media back in August, September. So I, yeah. I think it's it's a great it's, it's mm. a great idea, mm. um, and uh, you know I think there there is scope to make greater use of it. Sometimes just seasonally, uh, for example, McDonald's in the summer months for some office employees allows them to work compressed hours, so they're doing the same amount of work, but in shorter time, so they get Friday afternoons off. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, more they, attractive alternative, I think, for employers. I think the problem is just always measuring this productivity increase, which is a lot easier in some sectors than others, isn't it? And then potentially, obviously, having to get casuals or other expensive um, temporaries or otherwise to, to cover those other other periods, isn't it? Productivity or the the need of the clients and customers, as you say, isn't met on those four days. This is a, you know, it's a difficult way. It's compressed hours. I don't know. It seems to have greater certainty, doesn't it, for obvious reasons, doesn't it? And that's it, you know, in terms of managing yeah. shifts and such like that. Yeah. Yeah, and the four-day week, I think what can be difficult to manage, again, depending on the sort of composition of the workforce, is you may have existing part-time employees who work a four-day week and have taken Quite. a 20% cut in their exactly. pay to work that four-day exactly. week. And mm. suddenly they've got colleagues who are working a four-day week and being paid full pay. Are you really more productive than me, exactly? Yeah, this is the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll just see. I guess the conclusion to that is we've got to wait and see until to see whether it's firstly extended, isn't it? But whether actually, even if it's not, you know, is it really going to be taken up? We we'll wait and see. You know, I think Iceland has been a positive, hasn't it? Overall, as one example of a country that seems to have embraced it a lot more than anyone else at the moment. But we'll wait and see. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think other employers have found in the past that by cutting down the working week you can free up the ability to hire more workers. Mm. Um, so it, it can be helpful because you're then creating gaps in the workforce. But again, at, at the present time where there's a shortage and, and a difficulty in attracting retaining talent, is that really what you want to be doing? One, one approach that obviously has um, been real, largely driven by the pandemic is the shift to agile working. And again, mm. that is seen very favourably. And if anything, I think that's been easier for employers to adopt, the, the ability for employees to be based at home and in the office, more or less at their convenience. There are you know, certain service level requirements, business needs, mm. the need Some are more for team building. Yeah, exactly, than others, yeah, yeah. But that's certainly been very welcomed and, and a good way to secure retention rates amongst staff because yes. they have more flexibility. Yes, and, it goes to that wider flexibility theme, doesn't it? Not just in benefits, but as you say, but in working hours and where you work and location. Yeah. 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 And again, again, it's the sort of makeup of your work workforce with more women able to perhaps juggle, as generally those who've been the primary carers are able mm. to juggle work life balance. Mm. 
Um, and then, you know, when we look at that's the, the female so end, and then we're looking at the upper end of the workforce, there are some, some people who would be willing to retire, but don't necessarily feel that this is the right time. There are others who want to get back into the workforce because, you know, their pension is at the moment not looking like it might be worth as much as they thought it would. But, you know, employers can, uh, and it can be helpful to put in place a flexible retirement policy to create those sort of forums where you can approach employees and say, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the future? Mm. And have those conversations to, again, what's going to help retain and, and attract talent is for people to see that there's space to grow their roles. There's a, a, a career path ahead for them. Yes, succession planning in that sense. Mm. Yes, very much so. It's a delicate one, isn't it? Obviously, because we know all about age discrimination, et cetera, don't we? I think most of the listeners will, will understand that. I think it's always a delicate reality, isn't it, of bringing these policies in. But as you say, if you're transparent about it, and actually ultimately you do need to be able to, you know, create career paths, as you say, isn't it? That's nothing new, isn't it? But um, I think we'd advocate more transparency, more thought, I suppose, to these sorts of policies, isn't it? And, uh, and open discussions, which actually can be very fruitful, can't they, to then amicably people retire, et cetera, or go on different arrangements, et cetera, isn't it? And there's succession planning in place. Yeah, it's just ensuring that there's appropriate support in place for managers, that mm. they're well supported by yeah. human resources or external advisors so mm. that they can understand where, where they've got an open door to progress the discussion further and when actually the signs are there to back off. And last but not least, um, ESG. <laughs> so, I mean, it's an acronym that's been used so much, isn't it? But in this context, it's very interesting, isn't it? Although, again... I think we're going into the more embryonic stages like cryptocurrency, aren't we, in terms of what we're seeing? We are. I think it, it's been played out a lot more at, you know, the listed, the, the FTSE 100 board mm. level positions Very and having, so. having structures in place to ensure that you know, at, the, at the leadership level they're being held to account. But we were talking earlier about how, how you can drive that down to you know the senior leadership team and below the middle middle level and hold people to account and how you can create smart targets which are, are, are then properly achievable yeah, yeah yeah and rewarded against i think we're, we are struggling a lot we're seeing obviously the certain industry the environmental um issues are, are, are plain aren't they and perhaps it is more easy you know not just at executive level but particular roles you know to to show co2 emissions or whatever it may be i mean one of the one of the factors i think we just talked specifically about environment and sort of bonuses and things linked to that is there's not one overseeing body or recognized body that everyone is saying that's fine so there's always this accusation that's been thrown at the financial services i know about greenwashing and such like isn't it and saying well you know well what measure are you using i think we desperately need some sort of uh, agreement really on on that as to actually where where actually is that competence etc where where is the confidence i suppose in relation to environmental targets you know it's far too many bodies who are involved in that at the moment albeit obviously we don't want to dampen people's enthusiasm for it and then as you say it's this flow down isn't it which is very difficult um across all of ESG. I mean, if we talk away from environment, I mean, when you talk about sustainability, one thing we are seeing, I think, is more of this reaching out to communities and actions, et cetera, as part of that, which I think is quite interesting. So people potentially being rewarded more in relation to things which are actually external to the business, aren't they? You know, and that could be education programs, all sorts of things, et cetera, not necessarily directly linked to talent 
for that particular business but the war, more the wider community piece we are part of the community as this company the branding and the alignment etc is all important there isn't it some of it's charitable others isn't others investment i suppose in those sorts of projects but that bit i found quite interesting um and we're seeing more of it and on the governance side i suppose we're the g of esg it's really uh, a lot of that is our legal uh, input isn't it into good governance etc and making sure for us as employment lawyers really around the dni i suppose is where we see it diversity and inclusion uh, in a number of other areas obviously in policies and new and more progressive policies i suppose for companies but that reaching out and recruitment is really key isn't it and uh, again can be part of the bonus structures etc isn't it and something that many companies i think are are being lauded for that they're doing the right thing they are reaching out and their mercedes in the recent sustainability report have, you know rightly um you know being praised etc for their reaching out etc and this positive action to an education programs etc within uh, formula one for example um but it's yeah. it has problems it's not all it's not all clear is it i think that's a problem it's not all clear and, and i think where you've got managers who are being held to account for diversity targets mm. and are remunerated and incentivized and tied to those targets. Yes. Or does that drive recruitment behaviors which might not otherwise, you know, be fair and equal? We all have yes. equal opportunities policies in place to ensure that there's fair access for all. But if you're then specifically got targets to increase the proportion of women at certain management points and ethnic minorities, is that then a sign of discrimination against white male employees? So I think it's it's being, you know, having the ability to take positive action, reaching out to groups that might not otherwise be aware of the vacancies, mm. but being very mindful that you might indirectly be discriminating unlawfully by sort of trying to do the right thing. Yeah, it's so tempting that, and we are seeing that, this difference between positive discrimination, which is unlawful, as you say, which is effectively saying to a group, that's it, you know, we're just going to recruit within this particular area, I suppose, in crude terms, as opposed to what we're advocating, what is lawful, which is this direct positive action. There's so many different layers to that, but as you say, it's really looking at where you advertise encouragement, et cetera, isn't it, in these open days and opening it up to a much more wide, uh, wider workforce, which is, you know, all part of the, the rightful uh, recruitment of, uh, of the best talent, isn't it? Everyone wants that, I think, um, away from any discrimination issues. But as you say, yes, the wrong encouragements under the under bonus and reward really can backfire, can't it? You know, and then we get the negative publicity, obviously, um, as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. what I think we're seeing more of is certainly trying to create greater goodwill amongst staff populations, the workforce, by putting in place a lot more flexibility, a lot more mm -hmm. holistic support. Yes. And that's certainly going a long way to retain talent. Yeah, and it's investing in the skill set as well, isn't it? As you say, you know, it's that learning and development. It's the bit that you were talking about before. I think the the wider support, but also individual, even though it comes with the risk that maybe will people will move on. Certainly, this Generation Z is not necessarily as as loyal as um, as perhaps we thought they would be if we invested in them. But nonetheless, you know, in order to recruit the best, that's that seems to be still the theme. Then into the future, we've got. ESG and how that's going to evolve, haven't we, in terms of those sorts of policies and making sure there's greater certainty, I suppose, around what goals and measures are being used. And perhaps even then crypto NFTs that we've talked about and where we're into the perhaps more distant future. Is that where you see it, I suppose, in terms of the, the chronology of this? Yeah, and I think it's a function of the times that we're living in. 
but I think there are immediate concerns and that's going to, you know, employers are going to need to address those on the health and well-being and immediate financial support fronts, um, but with an eye to the future. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.